This summer, don't just watch soccer. Play in the DraftKings Real Shot Challenge presented by Jägermeister. The rules of the game are simple. Just pick winners. At the end of the tournament, the five top point getters in each nation's leaderboard walk home with a national team jersey and a Jägermeister jacket. All entries are automatically entered into an overall leaderboard where the prizes are even more lucrative, like the ultimate fan experience, an all-expenses-paid trip to the winning team's country to celebrate sweet, sweet victory like a local. Enjoy a VIP soccer experience, including game tickets, transportation, and swag, plus extra cash so you can roll like a meister. You don't need cash to enter. It's free. So what are you waiting for? Head to DraftKings.com slash RealShot to adopt your team, get in the game, and win exclusive prizes. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash RealShot for details. Hi, I'm Grant Wall, and welcome to the Planet Football Podcast World Cup Daily. Day 5 of World Cup 2018 is done, headlined by England's stoppage time winner over Tunisia by two-goal captain Harry Kane. Brian Strauss and I will be talking about that and other topics today as part of our podcast coming to you daily from Russia through July 16th. Just a small request, it would be a huge help if you subscribe, rate, and review our podcast. It helps people find us. In this episode, I'm also joined by Zach Goldman and Nathan McVitie, two of the most interesting people in soccer who you've probably never heard of. Onward! We got some Kremlin bongs in there, Brian. Bongs. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> um, we're actually, I'm not that tired tonight, so I'm actually pretty excited about this. Cool. I'm sitting on, on, on a stone wall again. Leading up against a metal a metal fence. Uh, we are not night indoors. Three, we are not, not indoors again. Uh, I'm making more appearances than perhaps expected on a Fox show, which is great, uh, but also requires outdoor recording of this podcast. So let's dive right into it today. Uh, we'll apologize for the uh, sounds and um, England being England. You know, I had actually already written my five thoughts for England, headlined by England disappoints. <laughs> <laughs> when it's like autofill, when you when you type England <laughs> in, into your browser, disappoints uh, comes up immediately after it. Harry Kane, man, I mean, you know, they wasted chances today, but but uh, that was not a gimme header at the end. You know, there was an angle that from behind him where he could have just as easily. You know, crash it off the post or hit the side netting. I mean, that that was that that took some skill, and he uh, he got it done. So uh, this is also is this the yeah. downside of of having defenders on the line? Defenders on the line. There were two defenders on the line for Tunisia, which meant Harry Kane was not offside, even though he was like oh, I see right in front of the goal. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. And completely open, by the way. Yeah, odds are, odds are you're gonna you know, I I've, I'm never I'm not a defensive guy. I'm not a I've never <laughs> when I coached I never figured out how to organize defending set pieces but you know you want guys on the posts um so i think it's uh unfortunate for tunisia i felt for them a little bit like i did for egypt at the end of the uruguay game where i think you know they weren't the better team and so in that sense i thought england deserved the three points but tunisia dealt with a lot of stuff they came back from one down they came back from their starting goalkeeper going out and the replacement sort of looking deer in the headlights there at times uh they defended pretty well and Overall, I mean, like, 
I don't know. I was kind of mad about this England performance. Yeah, but it just sets us up to be disappointed by them later in the tournament, which is really what we all want. <laughs> England disappoints. <laughs> yes, we want we want the heartbreak to be you know when when the stakes are much much higher. So I'm fine with them winning now. On paper, this group, maybe more than others in this tournament, seemed very top heavy. It did. You know where the draw switch in December, I thought overall was a great thing. Uh, they went from drawing the draw pots by continent to using the FIFA rankings, and I thought it produced groups that were far more balanced than we've seen in previous World Cups. Uh, the one we're going to see tomorrow with Japan, Senegal, Poland, and Japan, or who's the fourth team? In I am going to see Forget. Poland and Senegal tomorrow. Okay. Um, the other teams in the group are Japan and Colombia, Yeah. so I don't know where they are playing. Okay, not but here. But like any of those four teams, I think could get out of that group. Yes, I don't think Panama and Tunisia are getting out of this group. Probably not. And I think that it allows Belgium to ease into to grow into this tournament. I like the con- and, and and this is kind of what I tried to write about today. I, I don't think I did a very good job, but um, Panama kind of knows that, and and they're just kind of like they're embracing being here in a, in a really kind of delightful and honest way, and I think that's very cool. And you could see the emotion. Uh, in that team during the anthem, and 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 they and they played they they're not they're not nearly as good as Belgium, and they've acknowledged that, and and they 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 ran their hearts out. They tried. I mean, you know, Roman Torres doing some emergency defending sort of right off the bat, um, but but Panama is honest. Um, you know, they 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 know, know they know what they can do. They know what they can't do, and they're here to make the most out of this experience and grow the game at home. And 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 uh, I respect them for that. Um, but yeah, they'll you know they'll be three and out, and uh, Tunisia likely will as well. And, and Belgium is a team, of course, that has designs on on bigger things. Yeah, and I think they did get sort of a, a fortunate draw. They don't even get England until the third game of this group, by which time both teams should be through. Should yeah. be through. Um, so, I, in my opinion, because of that, this day wasn't maybe as exciting as some of the previous days we've seen. Yeah, it was the first. I think it was the first day since I've been here where I didn't really have somewhere I had to be, right? I yeah. Because, like, the, the first day I got here was, you know, credentialing and then the Congress and then the opener, you know, and so press conferences. And so t- today I actually got to walk around for an hour, um, uh, posted a couple photos on Twitter. Um, so, yeah, today was kind of like all things being equal on a relative level. It's kind of a chill day. Um, and then obviously things pick up again tomorrow. Um, by the way, I saw Alan Shearer outside. Uh, just walking out of the compound. Yeah, he does television. Yeah, and he took some. Took uh, it's weird. Like some, there were maybe a dozen or so people outside. Um, I guess just waiting for anyone they recognized. Oh yeah. Um, and so there were a couple photos. One guy, I guess, had a had a which w- Daily Blind, right? Danny yeah. Blind's kid. Yeah. Played for Manchester United. Right. And so this guy out there had a Daily Blind jersey, and he asked Shearer to sign it. Huh. And Sheer just looks at him and goes, you couldn't have found a better top than this one. <laughs> and I don't know if the kid understood a word of that. I don't know where the kid was from. But it was really funny. I interviewed Alan. When I, when I first started at the Washington Post, I interviewed Alan Shear. DC United played Newcastle. Oh. Shear was still there, and he was very cool. Um, he actually scored against Tunisia in the 1998 World Cup for England the oh last God. time these two teams played in the tournament. Wow. You had that just queued up. That's awesome. That's awesome. I pat you myself that. on the back. Yeah, that's a really good. I had no idea. That's a really good piece of trivia. Um, the other thing is, you know how the, you know Nigeria came out with all that f- fabulous, uh, you know, the jerseys yeah. and the kit and the the, 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 the sweats and the tracksuits and all that kind of stuff, and then it was like gone. Yeah. You know, like 
there's a dude outside who has all of it. Nice. Like head to toe. He even had like the fanny pack. You know, like he was he was adorned in black. Was it Nija? What what are they? Yeah. Yeah. And he was wearing a New York Islanders hat, which is weird. Because huh. I, I guarantee he wasn't American, and obviously, you know, I've I found out like within the past hour that Barry Trotz resigned, and the Islanders have a coaching vacancy. So I have no just, idea who that person is. It was is. just kind of weird to see. Okay, Barry Trotz uh, was up until about an hour ago the Stanley Cup winning coach of my Washington Capitals. Oh, no way! But no longer. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, so. I, we might actually have uh, later on as an interview guest on this daily podcast, not the Daily Blend podcast, but the Daily Podcast, um, the guy who is in charge of Nike's Nigeria kit. I'm hoping to get that person on here uh, because I'd be interested to know how that worked out because to me, it's like the best kit of many World Cups. And um, it makes me feel like I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm seeing Fela on Broadway or Juan something. Juan Pablo Angel walking by. Oh, right really? Now. Yeah. Juan Pablo. ¿Cómo estás? Sí, sí, quiero uh, decir algo en el podcast. Próxima vez. Um, He's very handsome, isn't he? Crazily handsome. He's really, really a handsome man. He came man. on our show um, with me and Luis, the Planet Football TV yeah. show recently. He's working here for Telemundo. Okay. And... Um, uh, the makeup artist who worked with him. I got nothing was, to do. Was, no, they were, they were just like, basically, oh my God, he's a handsome man. Yeah, uh, yeah. Great eyebrows, they said. Yeah, I mean, even, and even like, like even now that he's walked away, just kind of a, a solid silhouette. Yeah, oh, yeah. Very impressive human being. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's good to keep the cameos going like that. <laughs> Michael Sylvester last night, Alexi Lawless the night I before. I want to, I want to, I want to be, you know, I'm a, like a kit freak. Like, I want to get in on that Nike action. I want to, I want to bug someone about kits. But it's weird. It would be weird to bug the guy who actually designed an original-looking kit about the fact that 99% of them are bland and boring and awful. So he's really not, I guess, the person I should talk Don't to. Don't blame him. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's the exception to the rule. He's a hero. Yeah. He should get the, the Planet Football Podcast medal for the for the month. I noticed someone on Twitter actually uh, backed me up, calling you the Andre Leon Talley of soccer kits. So a second person who knows who that is? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, so... <laughs> So for me, the game tomorrow that stands out the most is Russia-Egypt. Um, Huge. You know, you've got a situation where even heading into this tournament, I felt like that would be the highest stakes game of Group A because Saudi wasn't going to do much. Uruguay appears to be the class of the group. And we still don't know yet about Russia, I think, because Saudi was so bad. I agree. And, yeah. uh, and we do seem to know, I think, this time that Mohamed Salah will play. Start or play? play i mean okay. like i i would certainly I'm, I'm hoping i'm hopeful that he starts this game and that we see not crying or sad muhammad salah but the muhammad salah we saw for most of the season with liverpool well i'm looking forward to seeing Golovin for for russia he 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 was just he was so much fun to watch against saudi arabia he's so alert so enterprising pulling strings bringing teammates into the play really good vision you know, getting between lines, just just really, really enjoyed watching him play. But again, I mean, it was it was you know, playing against green traffic cones. So right. what he does against a team that's a bit better defensively, a bit sturdier, a bit more structured. Um, but I'll have my eye on him. Although maybe I won't because I'll be at the Poland Senegal game and I'll be watching Lewandowski and Sané and, and and guys like that. So um, I don't remember which stadium that's at. One of the two here. I think it's Spartak. Spartak. So uh, apologies for the. 
cargo vehicles that are driving by us right now. That shook. <laughs> that truck shook my bones. It's like Chucky scored again. Uh, Rattling. So I, I personally feel like Russia's going to get through. European dominance, um, man, except for Germany. That's been the story 13, of this World Cup. 13 European teams have played now in this World Cup, and only one is lost, and that is World Cup champion Germany. It's only one game. I get it. And Germany may still go on to win the World Cup. Who knows? But um, European dominance, and there's enough of a sample size now over the decades that in World Cups held in Europe, European teams do better yeah i think we brought this up right six, six of last time six of eight quarterfinalists i believe in in germany all four semifinalists um and again what what i said the other day maybe it was a week ago maybe it was last night but but european teams that we consider average or below average on a relative scale doing well against opponents from other confederations that are the best those confederations have to offer again except for germany i guess i mean just assume everything i say except for Germany, just add except for Germany at the well, end of today, my sentence. Sweden got three points, and Sweden was not very good today right. against South Korea, but uh, they were good enough. Um, you had a point about Mexico that you wanted to make about the opportunity available to them. That is true. Yeah. Uh, I really feel strongly now that after seeing Sweden and South Korea today that uh, Mexico really should win this group, and if they don't win this group, it would be a huge missed opportunity uh, because that has a big impact on their matchups for the knockout rounds and, it would and be, potentially avoiding Brazil. It would be right. And it would be interesting if, if the elusive fifth game actually came down to winning the group and not who they, you know, right. it's not that they played a better team in the round of 16. It's that they won the group and, and that's what paved the way uh, for them getting, getting that fifth game. Um, also, I had Georgian food tonight. And Tell me about never, it. If you've never had Georgian food, um, this was my first meal. I of, love peach cobbler. Of this, uh, <laughs> uh, this was my first meal of this trip, essentially, that wasn't basically like, you know, stealing food off of someone else's buffet. <laughs> um, so that was pretty awesome. Like I said, a bit more of a chill day today. Um, just just really interesting. I'm, I'm, you're the foodie, man. I'm, I'm a savage. I, I, have a, I have a barbarian's palate. But, um, you know, really interesting spiced soups and, and dumplings, a big fat lamb dumpling. Um, that you eat with your hands and like dribbles all over the place. Huh, and, sounds uh, messy. And uh, yeah, it is. And uh, a big buttery thing of bread with like egg and cheese in the middle, like in a big pool. Um, and it was just sloppy and delicious. So if you've ever had Georgian food, go get some. We probably should explain Georgia, the former Soviet Republic. That now, one. Now a country. Yes. <laughs> uh, home That's of, all I got. Home of Tbilisi and not Clint Mathis. <laughs> um, so. I'm glad you had a good meal, man. I was starting to get a little concerned that your uh, your eating habits were they've being been, comp- com- they've been, compromised. They've been, they've been poor. Yeah. yeah. Um, I got six and a half hours of sleep last night, so that was far and away my best sleep night uh, in quite a bit. We got our second win, baby. Um, but the White Knights, I don't know if it is technically a White Knight in Moscow because I know that's St. Petersburg, but the sun comes up here at... 2.30? Like 2.30 a.m. Like we literally are finishing our Fox World Cup Tonight show. It's really weird. And the sun is coming up, which is really jarring. You know, I wonder, I wonder would, it be, would it be weird to ask? I wonder how players are dealing with it. I wonder how guys for whom. You should ask. Yeah, guys for whom rhythm, right, and sleep, and, and when you eat, and when you train, and when you rest, and that stuff matters. And that stuff is, is planned out. By, by coaches and physiotherapists and I mean there are people who do this for a living and I wonder if what is it called circadian rhythms right I mean like I wonder if that's messed up by the fact that like this city does not 
follow the laws of physics at all. I have a good story about this. Okay. Rodolfo Landeros, our Fox Sports Mexico yeah. reporter, had a really interesting nugget in last night's show. And he's following Mexico closely throughout this tournament. That they Juan Carlos Osorio has been fixated on sleep. And he's he sought out a ton of information. He had dinner with Sir Alex Ferguson uh, a few months ago. And I found out from someone uh, close with Ferguson that uh, Osorio had questions about sleep, of all things, for Sir Alex. Of uh, all the things to talk about. Yeah, exactly. That's incredible. Well, I guess but, they, they've known each other. But. but Rodolfo was also saying that there's something that the Mexicans are putting in the players' mattresses to measure their sleep not just how much they're sleeping, but how much tossing and turning they're doing each night, which makes me wonder how, if you had that in your bed, how that would be going. That's kind of creepy. They're measuring us. <laughs> We're in Russia. <laughs> they're measuring everything we do. We are 60 feet from the Kremlin wall, by the way, as we see Hearing every word. <laughs> um, I just found that interesting that... It is. Uh, it just, it just occurred to me. Sleep. Yeah, it just occurred to me. I wonder if that's something that was... was you know, how many teams even thought about that? You know, how many teams even looked at, at, at whatever it's called, celestial rotation patterns before they got here? But, yeah, it messes you up. It's a, it's a, it's a real, real mind-bend to uh, look out the window at 3 in the morning and have the sun coming in. It's bizarre. It was also strange. You know, I got up. I got six and a half hours of sleep, but I got up at 11.30 this morning. So that right. gives you an idea of how the schedule is working. And you working. went running, according to Twitter. I did. Uh, Lexi didn't like my uh, attire, apparently. Why? Um... You know, I don't know. I mean, I'm wearing the high black socks with the all black shorts and um, shirt. And, well, we can uh, ask the Nike guy what the problem with it was. And uh, a red bandana, and people were posting pictures of Devo with their red hats. Any, any Kansas logoed apparel? I had Dortmund stuff shorts oh, okay. on today. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I uh, actually had uh, Bayern Munich contact me, like one of the higher-up executives, one time after they saw a photo of me in my Dortmund shorts, wondering if I had uh, That's power. gone to the other side. Um, I am I am wearing uh, I am wearing a Minnesota United, uh, what's what's it called jacket? You are. Yeah, I traded. I don't know why I'm talking about this. It's okay. I made a trade. Yeah. I made a trade. Where'd you trade for it? Media guides, history. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Long story. You are the Andre Leon Talley of uh, soccer kits in the so. United States, at least. Who uh, doesn't like the Minnesota United logo? We should wrap this up. We're starting to fray. Really? Yeah. I am, at least. I don't want to speak for you. We'll wrap it up. we got a good interview coming up with me and Zach Goldman and Nathan McVitie, two of my favorite people in the soccer world that you haven't heard of, but you'll be very interested in what they're doing and what they have to say. Let's do this again tomorrow, Brian. All right. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event, whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and just with a few taps, I can instantly find seats. 
SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get you the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, from sports and concerts to comedy and theater. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code GRANT today. That's promo code GRANT for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Big thanks to Brian Strauss. Next up is my interview with Zach Goldman and Nathan McVitie. Grant Wall here with two of my favorite people in soccer who you don't know yet probably, but you will after this. Uh, I think it's really cool sometimes to have interesting folks on that I've met in the soccer community, uh, typically through social media. Social media can be a really positive thing, everyone. Uh, and I'm here with Zach Goldman and Nathan McVitie. And first off, if you guys could just explain to listeners what it is that you do. Sure. Thank you so much for that extraordinarily kind intro that I don't deserve at all. Um, so yeah, we uh, together collectively have a um, an outlet called Where's Football. Um, it's a project that essentially seeks to highlight and express the world's love for the world's game. Um, we typically, you know, take submissions from all over the world and uh, build that into sort of a collage and panorama of what the game looks like in people's backyards. And we're here at the World Cup kind of taking in this whole experience, seeing this amazing blend of cultures and getting to know lots of great people. That was Zach, by the way. Hi. <laughs> uh, Nathan, what, um, if you could also explain, like, um, where are you guys from? Yeah, well, I think it's a good representation of global football to some degree. I'm a kid from the Lake District in England originally, now living in London, had stints in New York Zach is from born and bred Los Angeles, had stints in England. So actually without meeting in person, we connected on the internet, like you're saying, social media. So it's a good representation of we're from everywhere to some degree. Oh, not everywhere, but you know, we're from different places brought together by football, which is a nice journey into our storytelling to some degree. We live it and breathe it at the same time. So we're from everywhere and the stories we tell are all around, from all around the world, you know, so we do stories with people from Thailand, with people from Australia, with people from Canada, from everywhere, from England and America, obviously, but we try to explore a little bit of everything from everywhere. So can we say children of the world to some degree? Is that, that works. Possible? <laughs> that works for me. I, I mean, I find it very cool that I met you guys through social media, but have since, um, gotten to meet you in person. Uh, Zach and I met up in New York at one point for coffee. Uh, Nathan and I met up uh, during Leicester City's amazing run when you were with the club there. Mm -hmm. uh, and we actually sat next to each other at uh, a game that Leicester won late. Oh, we did. I forgot. I was season. trying to remember earlier today if we met before we won the, the league, but we did. It was You were preemptively there? Was, I was there for a story for Sports Illustrated yeah. on what Lester was doing, but still at a time when I was like, I don't know if this is going to happen. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, but... Uh, well, I have the tattoo now. I have a Leicester City tattoo. Yeah, so. describe this thing on your yeah, left. Yeah, it's, it's hard to explain by audio, on. but uh, as simply as I can, 
I was always going to be introduced as the guy who worked at Leicester City for the rest of my days. So I figured, oh, well, might as well just make it visual and permanent. So the tattoo is basically the Premier League trophy and a fox. And as simple as it is, I tried to get something that isn't the quintessential football crest tattoo, but is artistic in its own right. I'm the I'm the creative of the group, so I tried to do the tried to do the represent representative thing of. Uh, visual i like tattoos as well so the visual kind of storytelling thing on my arm but yeah trophy premier league trophy with blue leicester ribbons and then a nice little fox with a bushy tail wrapped around it it's pretty terrific and i think i should also say here when you were with leicester you created is it the most viewed tweet oh yeah of all time or close no, to it so not the most viewed tweet i think i don't know if it's is it ellen degeneres that might have that honor with the selfie at the, oh at the yeah Oscars. probably but the most viewed or the most shared sporting tweet is the way i like to describe it yeah it, i don't which think which was it was the champions tweet so leicester city champions of england and it was basically the premier league trophy and then players in a collage behind it It was really simple and to the point almost cocky to a degree it was let everything do, else do the talking we've already shown what we can do kind of mentality um but that was a nice distillation of my creativity in a on a platform where you can well, we told stories all season, didn't we? But, you know, it was just let everything else do the talking for once. Whereas I think to take it back to Warriors football, we do a lot of storytelling that's quite explicit. But that represent that tweet, for example, was not. It was just here it is. This is what's happened. There you go. So whenever I have a design question, I go to Nathan. <laughs> uh, and whenever I have a question about social or best practices or somebody getting it or not getting it in the soccer world. I tend to ask Zach. Uh, before I forget, uh, what are your social handles? Just because I think people should follow you. Thank you so much. Wow. Um, uh, my social handle is that damn yank, uh, which I I guess when I joined Twitter, which was probably in 2013, um, I was working for Oxford United in League Two in England, and I was just sort of known as the American. I made the very terrible mistake during an away match in uh, Southend to have said the word soccer in Uh-oh. the in the <laughs> press conference, and that was not that was not good for me. And so I think I joined Twitter like right after that, and I heard that phrase um, directed at me, and I was like, "Wow, that's perfect. I just need to have that as my handle." Now it's sort of taken on a, a different life of its own, but. Uh, no, I, I, I still uh, self-identify as that damn yank. Awesome. I'm just, it's just my name. I'm just plain and simple, Nathan McVitie. I think I always wanted to try something a little more creative, but... Spell it out, I though, was, because uh, it's not the most intuitive well, so, for yeah, us Americans. That's probably true. My, well, my first name, Nathan, is spelled with an E, which makes going to Disneyland impossible because you can't get any license plates with Nathan with an E on it. It's It's been the bane of my existence since I was about four years old. Uh, N-A-T-H-E-N-M-C-V-I-T-T-I-E, McVitie. And if you're from a country in which the biscuits or digestives are exported to, you might think I'm related to that family, but no cookie <laughs> biscuit relation for me. I've been bullied about that my entire life. Digestive is a nickname, but uh, Nathan McVitie just plain and simple the okay. name very cool um let's talk about what you're doing here on the ground in russia it's very cool to see you in moscow by the way uh i love soccer uh what have you guys been up to here um so yeah we've uh we basically are here to kind of shoot the tournament from 
what we hope is a unique lens. Um, we want a vantage point that is different than kind of the rest of the field. There's a ton of people, including yourself, obviously doing tremendous work and tremendous storytelling. And I think it's a, it's a wonderful kind of marketplace of different views and you can kind of get everything you want from our side. Obviously we have, um, a lot of our our work happens on Instagram, um, where we have you know our account where people send photos from all over the world. We wanted this to be much more of kind of our experience of the World Cup, so we wanted to take this time to show what it was like on the ground as opposed to just what it's like around the world. We wanted to give people a sense of like the heartbeat of Russia at this time, this kind of amazing blend of cultures, um, and we wanted to do it in a way where it's sort of uh, it's stylized photography and portraiture that you're not going to get in just a Getty photograph. And we wanted to couple that with a lot of interviews. Um, I think, you know, we were talking about it earlier, you know, may he rest in peace, Anthony Bourdain, you know, we, we think his storytelling was a big influence on our own um, as young people starting a website um, with our friends, you know, Eric Beard, Maxi Rodriguez, we, we've all kind of talked a lot about his influence on us as storytellers in the past you know week or so and he really let his subjects do the talking and you know gave them a spotlight and and a platform to express what moments meant to them what culture meant to them and for us we're trying kind of trying to do the same thing um you know with this experience and and let people really express their own culture their own view of what soccer means to them um you know around this incredible tournament so it, it's kind of coupling that that portraiture with those moments of kind of impactful storytelling told by the subjects themselves. So it's been super fun, super challenging. Um, and I think, you know, hopefully, you know, people like what they see, but I think either way for us, it's been an incredible experience and a, and a really interesting insight into why we love this sport and why, you know, we want to dedicate our lives to it. So what are some things you've done during this world cup that people should uh, look for? We actually just dropped an article, dropped an article, we crafted an article yesterday that was on the Iranian women coming over to Russia to watch their national team play. So one of the games that people sort of looked over was Morocco Iran, I think, right. when they saw the fixtures were released. But in the best way and in a way that football often presents the stories beyond the headlines are often most interesting. And the, the, there was a very strong uh, story that presented itself immediately when we saw that line. And that was Iranian women at home, when they're in Iran, they can't enter their stadiums. They can't go to the games, which is, you know, vastly different to the rest of the world. And Russian, the Russian World Cup presents an opportunity for them to travel to see their national team often for the very first time. So we went to the game. We went to Morocco versus Iran. We met photographed, interviewed these amazing women, often traveling in groups or with friends and family or whoever it is. They may not even live in Iran. They may be from Canada or America or Argentina, wherever they are, expats. And they have traveled all this way and we wanted to get a glimpse and an understanding of you know the difficulties they face, let them tell their own stories and share their views and present it to the world who might not know about that story, who might not know about the issues they face. And we actually saw a lot of uh, support for it on the ground before we even decided to really make the story into what it became, which was this portraiture-led visual story with not so many words, but just all about the women themselves. And we saw on the ground, there was a lot of Iranian men 
with banners supporting them, you know, marching around the stadium. There was banners were inside the stadium, I think, as well. So we we saw those guys and we chatted to them for a minute as well. So that's just one story. With there's a few different narratives and they present themselves seemingly as time progresses. But it's been a lot of fun so far, and we're looking forward to the next couple of couple of games we're going to. Where can people find that story? Uh, so it's on wheresfootball.com right now. Um, and you can obviously find us with the same handles on, on Twitter and Instagram. Um, in talking to you guys about that story before we started recording here, uh, I thought it was interesting that I just sort of assumed that the women in the stadium supporting Iran were basically all expats who don't currently live in Iran. But that's not what you found. You actually talked to women who are here from Iran, who currently live in Iran and cannot go to games who are here at games of Iran. Totally. And I think there's kind of secondary and tertiary levels of of interest in that, right? Because you have an amazing situation where a lot of people, you know, kind of from this, um, you know, Iranian diaspora, if you will, and in, in after the you know late 70s who live in the U.S., who live in Canada, who are, um, you know, the children of people who left, in some cases, the grandchildren of people who left, um, are, are meeting people who currently live in the country and, you know, standing side by side with them in the stadium and cheering for their national team. And so, you know, there are so many different levels of, of, of intrigue for us. Um, and it was an extraordinarily powerful moment um, to see in the stadium for me as well, because I'm from L.A. I have tons of friends who, you know, whose parents are from Iran and who you know who who are Iranian themselves who are waking up early for these matches and it was kind of interesting to chat with them after but no you're totally right I mean they, we met a lot of people from Tehran a lot of people who study in Russia for instance who are um, you know coming to the game for the first time who are who have every intention of going back to Iran afterwards um, and then also people who have never been to Iran but consider themselves Iranian of course and and live in other parts of the world um, and I, I you know f- we met some really interesting figures like a um, a professional women's basketball player who plays in Iran who was saying she knows what it's like to play in a stadium. Um, she knows that energy and she's craved the ability to see the national team in that same environment because she knows so well what a crowd means to her. Um, and so she actually had already traveled to the 2014 World Cup in Brazil, but it was important for her to bring her friends and to, you know, be with family and see her friends, you know, have that experience that she knows so well. Um, and, and, you know, getting getting to hear those stories to me is is the reason we're at the World Cup. And it's it's so much more important than any result. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a huge football nut, but for me, that, that takes the cake. One thing we talked about as well is how, like a lot of people, I think we had some conflict, self-conflict about coming to Russia for the World Cup. And, you know, there's plenty of reasons why. But I think we're in agreement now that we've been here for several days that it was a good thing to come. And that the experiences we've had with Russians in particular have been positive and and illuminating and revealing. Um, And with people from all sorts of countries, since this is, after all, the World Cup. (laughs) Um, Is that basically what you kind of came to as a conclusion as well, that it, it it was good not to boycott this World Cup? Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, uh, you know, we've talked, at length about this as friends. And I I think, you know, from my perspective during, you know, my limited time on this planet, I want to get to meet as many people as possible. I want to see life from their eyes. And I don't, I, I do wholly reject the notion that, you know, participation is an endorsement, you know, blank an endorsement of, you know, certain political structures of, um, you know, 
bigotry of prejudice there's obviously like an enormous amount of problems in our world and in places that hold mega sporting events including the world cup these next two times these next three Three. times even excuse me (laughs) i forgot we got that result these next three times and and you know the a lot of problems exist in our own backyard obviously and i think um you know there's a way of being of dissecting these moments, these incredibly powerful summits of humanity where everyone congregates around something they love. And there's ways of parsing that experience out and taking the good things from it and situating them and contextualizing them within a knowledge of the bad things. And I think we're humans are intelligent people who speak their mind in a, in a lot of cases when they come to these events. And it's not just people, you know, running around saying, Hey, I'm having a great time at Disneyland. This is people, you know, a lot of people we've spoken to, including Russians have really given an incredibly honest and revealing portrayal of their society that I would not have had, had I stayed at home. Um, and I think, you know, you can only get so much of a narrative. I mean, you're a journalist, you know, it's like, you do your best to tell the story from your lived experience, but without having traveled, without having spoken to people, without having, you know, attempted to understand the world from their perspective, you can't build that narrative. And it's incredibly dangerous. I think, you know, we're in a privileged position to be able to travel and to see those things. Um, and you do your best to to showcase that experience for people who can't go. Um, and I think the only way that we'll become more understanding, you know, as a world is by really carefully um, and honestly trying to reveal what these experiences have been like for us to actually have honest discourse on the ground with people. So yeah, that was a bit of a, of a verbose answer, but I just think, you know, for, for me, I'm so happy that I came here to, to really see this, uh, this event with my own eyes. So what are you guys going to be doing the rest of your time here? Try and enjoy some games as well. Just as a fan perspective, I think there is always, always interesting stories to be told you have to take a moment to enjoy the fact that you're at a world cup, you know, otherwise it gets wasted a little bit on you. And we're all soccer fans at the end of the day today. I think we're going to go down to see Germany, Mexico. There's obvious storylines there at the moment, you know, between the actual on field performance, but off the field stuff as well, back at home. And then we go back to St. Petersburg tomorrow. We're split between Moscow, St. Petersburg, which is an amazing city. And at this time of year with the white Knights is, beautiful to explore so experience some more of that pan-european architecture people food just enjoy the country i think it's not often that we get to any well i personally i've never been to russia before and i think it's often that we get to uh, come over here so i'm gonna just take everything i can from it enjoy some of the soccer try and enjoy some of the non-soccer stuff too oh yeah and then we what's the last game we're going to russia egypt as well so big game a big game and it's it's great because it's seemingly with ever and i mentioned this earlier seemingly with every single game at this world cup there is a story that you can find and whether that is like mo salah you know return from injury or if that's can he do very well when a Ballon d'Or perhaps, or if it's the, you know, home team at the World Cup and the off the field scenes, so to speak. I mean, there's stuff there. Every single game has something and being a part of that, just being around it is massively empowering, massively uh, visually impactful. You know, it shapes how you view the world. It, in four years time, when we go to the next World Cup, I'm sure the perspectives and the stories and the experiences that we had this time as in 2014 will inform how we experience and enjoy the next one and the next one. And it's this cycle, this four year cycle. And 
and and I'm going to use the word spiral, but it's this learning experience every time that hopefully we come out of a World Cup being a slightly better person than when we entered it. So I'll be honest, I sort of define my life in four-year cycles. Absolutely. In a weird way. Maybe I define myself by my work too much. (laughs) But um, yeah, like to me, like a a new, once the World Cup's done, that begins a new four-year cycle in a sense. I think... I mentioned the first day we got here, I think I posted a personal image to Instagram of my own and that was the caption. It was my life exists in four year cycles. Oh, really? Yeah. And it is a recurring theme, whether you're at home watching on television and a soccer fan or you're on the ground at a world cup and a soccer fan, I think you do associate yourself with that statement to some degree. I know, and I mentioned this on a, with a friend's podcast quite recently, the, personal and professional experiences I've had since Brazil 2014 are just beyond anything I could ever have imagined. You know, you just know, you can't see into the future, so you can't gain perspective on something that's going to be coming your way. But, you know, with Lester or with, uh, you know, working more closely with Zach or whatever it is, it's these things that happen and they shape your life. In four years, the perspective of looking back of what just happened is immense and hopefully and i mentioned this just just now hopefully the things that we learn and the things we see and the people we meet on the ground in these 10 days or two weeks will help shape those next four years and we can use it as a jump pad a boost to push on and do better for the next so i'm enjoying it so far so when we all go back to real life from uh, this World Cup. What are you guys going to be doing? Um, so we have an agency called Common Goal. Um, we work with uh, brands, teams, leagues, players, uh, kind of all across the board um, as a full-service creative agency with basically uh, a view towards sports and ideally nonprofits as well and hopefully putting those two worlds together. Not to be confused with Juan Mata's Common Goal, but very similar space. Um, yeah, we, we enjoy doing it and you know we have side projects and things like that, but the, the core of what we do is essentially uh, trying to take everything that we learn from Where's Football and trying to make kind of that that brand sphere a, a little bit more uh, close to the heartbeat of, of why we love football. Well, I will say this, that if I ever get down about social media, uh, and it can be difficult at times, uh, I think back to the fact that I th- it is 98% positive for me and my experience, and the best part of it is meeting people through it that you would not have met otherwise. I include you guys in that group. Thank uh, you. Likewise. Zach Goldman, Nathan McVitie, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening to the Planet Football World Cup Daily Podcast. I'd like to thank Brian Strauss, Zach Goldman, and Nathan McVitie, as well as everyone at Cadence 13 and Sports Illustrated who supports this podcast. Please, if you like the pod, tell your friends, subscribe, like, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help the cause if you do, and we'll see you tomorrow. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.